Good morning, New Life Church. I'm Brandon. I'm an elder here. I get the privilege of preaching today. Um, so pray for me as we embark on that uh, journey together. Uh, but I'm glad to be here, excited that you're here. What a great crew for Fourth of July weekend. I mean, I signed up for this because I figured everybody would be gone. You, you all showed up and surprised me, so um, I'm glad you're here. Y'all can be seated. Um, and if you have kids with you, uh, the little ones are free to go to, uh, to, to the children's church or lined up in the back. Um, don't forget to get them at the end. But for now, just you can pretend that you just don't have a little one to look after for the next three hours or so. Well, guys, if you haven't yet, hug a neck somewhere near you, shake your hands, tell someone hello, good morning, buenos dias, however you want to say it today. If you're home watching online, do the same. Hug a neck, shake a hand, hug your own neck if you're, if you're there all alone. You deserve a hug too, so hug your own neck. Well, guys, this morning we are continuing this series, our summer series, Reflections on God's Faithfulness. And all morning I've been trying to think of a good joke that I could use to embarrass my children, but they'll be happy to know I've got nothing. So you guys, you guys are off the, off the chain today. But today what I do want to talk about is the concept of identity. Ooh. So we're going to talk about that and if I if I were to ask you today to describe yourself, let's say you were describing it to someone you'd never met before, what would you say? How where would you start? What highlights would you hit? What would you bring out? What would come to mind? Hopefully, you got some ideas rolling. What you'd say? We all kind of have this sense of identity of who we are, right? And psychology would say it's shaped by past experiences and memories and feelings, emotions, personality traits, values. And um, some of that certainly fits, right? I mean, we all have kind of a sense of who we are physically and uh, in, in society or roles that we play, right? Uh, but today we want to take uh, identity and our concept of identity to the next level. Somebody say next level. Why do preachers always do that? I don't know. But it's fun to do when you're up here, okay? I'm, I'm assuming that I preach your identity for a moment. Once a year, guys. So, um, so next, we're going to next level it today. But before we, we get to that, I'm actually going to teach you four ways that you can really confuse your identity. That you can get really confused about your identity. So, so that's going to be fun. Four ways to do that. Isn't that what you expected to learn today? So we're going to take a, a trip 
through that. Before we do that, let's pray for this message. Father, I'm thankful to be in your house today. I'm thankful for the opportunity to share your word and what you've put on my heart. Thank you for helping me through the studies and and through this process of getting my thoughts straight and organized. Wow, what a mess that was. But you did it. You've pulled it off and you've helped me to be here and to have this message. So just, I pray that you would hide me behind you. That as we preach, God, I'd get out of your way and that your Holy Spirit would be at work this morning. And I do pray, God, that we would just uh, gain something useful today, that each of us would walk away with something that would draw us closer to you, that would draw us into a clearer picture of who you say we are, uh, and help us to take that with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I promised you four ways to get really confused about who you are. Just mess up your identity. Are you ready for those? All right. I feel like a David Letterman like talk show thing. We need a drum roll. <coughs> way number one. If I had 10, I would have gone with that. Top 10. Uh, way number one, forget what God says about you. That's a pretty simple one, right? Let's, and we're going to go to James chapter 1, verse 23 and 24 for this first section here. Forget what God says about you if you really want to be confused about your identity. And it says, we're looking at the Passion Translation. It says, I love this, the way it says, it says, If you listen to the word and don't live out the message you hear, you become like the person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. Without God's word, it's easy for my heart to get filled with other things, right? Uh, I can lose a sense of God's plan for my life. I can lose a sense of who he says I am. I can lose a sense of his direction. It's like my heart, my soul is like a vacuum. And, it, and it's just, you know, like one of those Hoover vacuums that really, you know, whatever's nearby, it can just gravitate to that, right? It's like our souls are this hungry sponge that can just absorb what we're around. And that, especially as a teenager, guys, if you're teenagers here, listen in because it's a very impressionable time in your life and development. Your identity is developing, right? Eric Erickson, sociologist, uh, you know, stages of development. Go back and read that textbook. But very important time in your life. And for those of our, us who aren't teenagers anymore, it's okay. We're still growing. We're still learning. But very important that we are careful of what the sources are and, and, and what's going into and shaping our identity. So without God's word, it's like that void, that vacuum is just left wide open. So if I, if I don't cling to God's truth, then it's like a free-for-all. So James 1.21, if we go up a couple scriptures past where we started, or before where we started, he says, so this is why we abandon everything morally impure and all forms of wicked conduct. Instead, with a sensitive spirit, we absorb God's word, which has been implanted within our nature. For the word of life has power to continually deliver us. That's pretty awesome, amen? So we want God's word implanted within us. 
You know, have you ever found it hard to follow God's Word? I sure have. And even as uh, 21 years as a Christian, I forget things. I don't get it right. I don't always do the right thing. And part of that could be that I forget my divine origin, as James said. I forget who I really am, who I'm supposed to be. And so I'm kind of left without a compass, without a guide, without an anchor to hold me. But when you read, when you meditate on God's Word, when you memorize Scripture, it's, you're implanting it into your heart. And, and it becomes clear who you are and who you're meant to be. In fact, it's not that we're trying to uh, recreate this identity, right? I mean, as the end of James, that passage in James says, it's your divine origin. Now, who in here loves a good origin story, right? I love those, you know, like Marvel did it a lot. It's like, we're going to go back and see the origin of this character, you know, see how they came to be the person they were. We got an origin story, folks, but it's not off of a Marvel movie, right? It's straight out of the Bible, right? Straight out of God's heart. So let's get, so if you want to really mess things up, just forget what God says about you. But if you want to develop that sense of origin, sense of identity, develop a routine. Try different sources. You read your Bible, read a devotional, read a good uh, biblical book, listen to preachers online, come to church and listen to preachers. Check. You guys are doing that already. Get a, get a steady diet. Develop a steady diet of God's Word in planet in your heart, and it'll shape who God says you are. All right, so that was step number one. Step number two, if you want to get really confused about your identity, then go to the wrong sources. Kind of the next natural progression, right? If we're not filling it with God's Word and we got this void in our heart, we're going to end up going to the wrong sources. Anybody ever been there? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm raising my hand because I've been there. So we don't, we don't usually mean to do it, but we're, we can be fairly easily influenced by others. And there's a few ways that happens. Have you ever compared yourself to somebody else? Yeah, yeah. Some of us are honest, yeah. It's a trap. Right? I mean, somebody's, you see somebody in the workplace who's just a rock star and they're just getting it right all the time. And you're just, you're looking at yourself like, hey, I'm just, I shouldn't even be in this profession. You know? Uh, you look at somebody in the church, you know, who's got the, some spiritual gift and you're thinking, well, oh, my, I can't do that. And so you kind of downgrade yourself again. The thing about comparisons too is we could also do the opposite. We could look at somebody that's really doing a lot worse than us. And be like, oh, I feel better about myself now. (laughs) As long as I keep them in mind, I'm not doing so bad. Right? Either way, it's not really how God designed us to operate. It's a trap. Well, we get stuck in that mode of having to look at what other people are doing to measure up. And it will not leave you satisfied at the end of the day, folks. If you're stuck in that, I hope that that can be helpful to listen to, to realize it can keep you from measuring up. It can keep you from pursuing your full potential. The truth is, guys, there's a lot of different gifts in the workplace, in the church, in the wherever, right? There's a lot of different giftings. 
And, and, and like it said, it was in Corinthians somewhere, if we're all the foot, right, then where would be the hearing, you know? We don't all just want to be a foot, do we? Um, we so we, we've got a lot of different giftings and talents, operations that we can do. And the key is to really seek the Lord and seek the truth about what is that? And how do I hone that in? Even if it looks different than what somebody else might be doing, right? A lot of cool things have come out of that. So we want to be careful about comparing ourselves to someone else. Another way that of going to the wrong sources is just straight up negativity. Have y'all ever had somebody in your life that was just, just downright negative? Yeah. And, you know, usually at the first we realize like, okay, yeah, that was, that was really negative. That was really, well, they, you know, well, they slept on the wrong side of the bed or, but after a while, we can start to internalize those messages from those people. And so, this was on my heart today. I just want to say, if, if, if someone has basically said or treated you like you don't have any value, who are they to say that, right? I mean, your value comes from God, your creator, your father. And no one else can take that away from you. But what happens is their thoughts, their negativity will start to get in your head. And what happens to thoughts? They can become beliefs. What's a belief? It's a thought that we hold to be true. And so we can end up with these negative core beliefs. It's kind of like a, a lens that we see things through. And before you know it, you don't feel like you have any worth. Because you've been told you don't have any worth. So if you're in that kind of environment, folks, get out. It ain't worth it. There's so much more. So God gave you that value. No one can take it away. And Jesus died so that you would know it. He wanted you to know your worth. Amen. So have you ever, another way is have you ever felt the pressure to conform to the culture at large. All right? This one sometimes is a little more subtle. Right? It's, it's those messages that, you know, you're not going to be happy until you get that latest iPhone or that latest zero-turn mower. Right, Lindsay? Lindsay knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Us guys know, right? Ooh, zero turn rate. It was like 46-inch deck. Now, come on. Um, you know, there's a lot of messages out there, and we saw it a lot after the pandemic, right? We were all quarantined, cooped up, like got in touch with our values and stuff. And then it's like we got to get out, and we got all these stimulus checks, and then like all the advertisements were like, come spend your money. This will make you feel whole again. No. No, they lied to us. Again, I fell for it. That happens, right? And so they, the pressure in culture is, is that materialism, is that the things will buy you happiness. Now, don't get me wrong. I like my things, but I, sometimes I feel like my things own me instead of me owning my things. And my wife has to get my head straight. That's how it happens in my house. I don't know about yours. Other things that culture tells us, that you, your, your value is based on how much you earn, how many zeros and commas can you put beside your name. Uh, and it says, 
you know, hey, do what feels right to you. Like, we shouldn't be accountable to anything or anybody, right? And it, oh, by the way, if you disagree with the culture at large, then you are wrong. And so there's that pressure to conform, right? But Romans 12, 2, if we can get that up, tells us this. And I'm going to put some emphasis in it because this is the way I read it. It says, stop. J- just stop. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. But be inwardly transformed in that identity right there, inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Wow, everything that the world promises to try to give us through things that the world tries to, the way they try to do it, God says right there, it's actually through Christ. It's actually through being reformed into God's image. Amen? I like that. He just, just, just stop. Stop imitating the world. Wow, that's convicting, y'all. For me, preaching to myself this morning. Are you with me? Okay, great. All right. I'm, I'm getting a little worried that I'm going too fast, and we're going to get out of here at 11.15. Nobody would, nobody would be mad at me for that. It probably won't happen. I'll find a way. <laughs> Long-winded. Okay. The third step. Guys, write this down. The third step to can really get thoroughly confused about your identity is to over-identify with the struggle. Say, what? Have you ever been consumed by something that you're struggling with? Yeah. I've got one person say, yeah. Yeah. We can get all up in our fields. We can get all wrapped up in our faults, our mistakes, our past. And we can get, we can over-identify with that as who we are. I'm I'm my mistakes. I'm my past. I'm, I'm my struggles. I'm my, I'm me on my worst day, let me tell you. Right? I've talked to, I'm a therapist, if you didn't know, and I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of people, a whole lot of people. And by and large, it's always easy, really easy for them to tell me, like, what's going wrong, what they've done wrong, how they're struggling, their faults, their failures, their shortcomings. They're, they're really in tune with their character faults, right? I mean, most of it, we're kind of, we're kind of bent that way, right? We could tell you really quick. But if I ask them, hey, what are your, so what are some of your strengths? At the end, they're like, I mean, you can hear crickets, you know, it's like, strengths? Like, I like to bake, you know, or something. You know, it's like, Okay, let's work with that. But there's, and, and it's sad to me because there's so much more strength in, in each of those people than they even can see or realize. But they have overly identified with the struggle. Folks, you are so much more than your depression. You're so much more than anxiety than ADHD, 
you're so much more than the diabetes that keeps you from eating what you want. Or from that lack of willpower when you do eat what you want and then you pay for it later. Right? We all struggle with things. But you're so much more than. You're more than the sum of your past mistakes. We know that phrase, right? It's so good though. You're more than the sum of your past mistakes. These struggles do not exclude you from being a Christian. But if I base my sense of self or identity on how I feel in the moment, or or my performance on how I'm doing in life, you ever y'all ever had those moments you just felt like you're failing at life? It's like life is right. Maybe that's just midlife crisis. Okay, Um, if you've had those moments, where was I? If that's what you base your sense of identity on, then your sense of identity will do this. It, it will fluctuate at best and be negative at worst, right? And on the other hand, there's a flip side to this one. On the other hand, uh, we'll also end up confused about our identity. This is step number four, y'all. If I live in denial of my struggle. So we've got, we got two kind of balance points here. We've got one. If I over-identify with the struggle, I'm going to have some confusion. But if I deny, if I'm in denial of and avoid and won't acknowledge what I'm struggling with, then there too can create some problems. And I can end up stuck in either place. There's a culture, folks, in this, and not in this church, sorry. Let me back up. In the church at large, in Christianity, to dress things up on the outside Got my shirt tucked in today. And, and to keep up appearances, keep what we're struggling with on the inside. In other words, what we're saying is, it's really not okay to not be okay. And sadly enough, that has become a culture in the church. Now listen, we all do this to some extent, right? I mean, you're walking through the hallway and somebody asks you, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. How you doing? I'm good, good, great. And maybe you don't really mean it, okay? That's not the end of the world. We all do that, you know, you're in patent, whatever. But at some, to some extent, if we, as a pattern, kind of keep up appearances and and, and really, you know, don't let anybody else in on, on what we're dealing with. Then you end up with uh, shallow kind of surface level connections with folks. You end up feeling isolated uh, and alone. Uh, like, man, nobody really knows. And, and then you end up with that imposter syndrome, right? Where it's like, ah, I don't really feel like the people, the person people think I am. Well, yeah, because you hadn't let anybody in, right? Uh, and, and so that can really do some, some confusion to your identity where after a while, it's like, yeah, well, who am I really? You know, I've been telling everybody I'm this and I got to keep this up, but man, inside I'm really struggling. I'm, I'm really depressed. Uh, I'm really nervous or whatever it is, right? Or I'm struggling with some secret. But there's a better way. And I really believe, based on what I've read in Scripture, that the, the culture of the church wasn't always this way. 
I have to believe that this has been something that we've kind of gradually developed as time's gone on. And may, maybe it's worse in the South. I don't know. You got, we get a bad rap in the South. But it's like we, we don't want to let people in and be real that we have struggles. Guys, uh, this started with Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, what happened? They, they, they sinned. They did the one thing God told them not to do. He's like, I gave you one rule. Uh, he did, they did the one thing, and then what did they do? They hid themselves from God in the garden uh, because they were afraid. They were naked. They tried to cover themselves and hide. And that's still kind of what we have the tendency to do today. We want to hide. We want to cover up. We want to hide from God and from others and not let them know that we messed up or that we are struggling. So, but what was God's response to Adam and Eve? It's pretty awesome. He's like walking through the garden. He knows where they are. And he's like, all right, guys, come out, come out wherever you are. And he's very gently, you know, pursuing them. And, and they, he's like, hey, what's up? What's going on? Who told you you were naked? Um, and, you know, they start to, you know, cast blame and stuff. They, you know, they had a hard time. They get a bad rap, don't they? Someday we're going to get in heaven and Adam and Eve, we're going to be like, oh, you guys are actually really cool. Like, we really gave you a hard time about that whole fall thing. But you're really, really good people. You know, I just, that's just some of the things that go through my head when I'm prepping for a sermon. But we still have this tendency to hide. And I'll be honest, guys, I know it's scary. I've had moments in my life where I was like, man, you know, I'm struggling with this, and I, I need to talk to somebody. I need to figure this out, and, and it's, it's hard. You know, it's hard to do. It, it feels vulnerable, and it, yeah. and it feels risky, right? I mean, so I'll say, I want to say this. You know, pick the right kind of person, right? I mean, you know, somebody that's going to be, you know, supportive and encouraging, and, and, and somebody that's not just going to tell you, you know, just what you want to hear, but also like what you need to hear, you know? Um, and if you think your people picker's broken, then, you know, pay for professional help to talk to. I mean, don't come see me because we go to church together, but somebody else, you know, it, it helps. So I want to give you a biblical example of what being real looks like. And y'all have ever, y'all heard of Apostle Paul, right? Like he, mo- he wrote most of the New Testament. He's like a rock star. Would you say that he's a pretty spiritual person? Like at least a nine, you know, maybe ten, nine and a half. But pretty spiritual dude, right? So but listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 5 to 7. For... Even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. Okay, Paul was really tired, okay, first of all. Uh, but we were afflicted on every side. He's going through some stuff. Conflicts without, so, you know, conflict. Anybody like conflict? Conflicts without, fears within. So here's Paul saying, we were afraid. I don't know who else was in his group at this time, but Paul was afraid, Okay. But God, who comforts the depressed, wait a minute. He did not just say depressed in the Bible. Yes, he did. 
God who comforts the depressed. Or I, and I looked that word up, guys, in the Greek and stuff and tried to get all fancy. It's, it means depressed or lowly, despondent. Like, you can't really turn that any other way. Like, he was down in the dumps. Like, he, he felt rough. He was depressed. That Paul, spiritual dude, spiritual power horse, depressed at that moment. He was, but he was comforted, comforted by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you. Lots of comfort going on, guys. Basically, when Paul was down and out, he was real about it. He was honest about it. He wrote it in an open letter to the church that's now in the Bible for thousands and thousands of years. Like, he wasn't hiding this stuff, guys. He was like, whoo, we were having a hard time, but I was comforted by my brother Titus. And Titus was comforted by this church in Corinth. That's the model that God's trying to show us, folks, is that if we can be real, if we can be vulnerable with one another, and if we can comfort one another, Instead of looking down on somebody who might be struggling or had a hard time or made a mistake or has a mental health issue, right? I mean, mental health's a part of our reality, guys. We all have physical health and we have mental health. It's just a thing, okay? And that's something, I'm just going to harp on that for a bit. That's something we need to get real about, church, is that mental health is a thing that we should talk about. 21 million adults in the U.S. suffered from a bout with depression in 2020. 21 million. That would fill Nissan Stadium where the Titans play. Over 300 times. That's a lot of people. And it's believed that around 30% of us will experience some sort of an anxiety disorder at some point in our lives. That's just the statistics, guys. I'm not, I'm not speaking that over you or anything like that. I'm just saying we deal with anxiety. We deal with depression. We're people just like we deal with diabetes or heart disease or dandruff or I don't know. It just came to my mind. All sorts of things, right? It's just that real. And the thing is, is that when we have this stigma around it, it keeps us back, especially within the church, from getting effective treatment. And there is effective treatment out there. So get help. It's cool. So being a Christian just doesn't preclude us from these struggles. Um... But when we can, but when we can confront them, when we can face them, because we know who we are, even in the midst of that struggle, I still know I'm a child of God. My identity is set in my maker, not just in how I feel in the moment. And so because of that, I know I can be real with this person. I can let somebody in. I can get help that I need. I can talk about what I'm carrying, the load that I'm carrying. And I can let others for a time pick me up, build me up, come alongside and help. So the struggle is not a failure. It's actually okay, church, to not be okay. Right? So 
So if I can, I want to, I those are the four ways. Maybe I should recap those. So make sure you guys can get really confused about your identity with these four steps. Forget what God says about you. Go to the wrong sources. Over-identify with your struggle or denial, deny your struggle and, and run from it, okay? Now I want to transition into just sharing a bit about my story, if that's cool. Uh, little old Brandon was born. I'm not going to go that far back. Okay, just kidding. All right, a little bit about my struggle because I struggled with a sense of identity, especially in the first part of my life. You know, still a work in progress, but. So I had a great childhood uh, in a lot of, by a lot of accounts. You know, no, no major trauma or poverty or anything like that. Um, but I always strived for the approval of others. Like, I mean, as long as I can remember, I just, I always remember just trying to impress others, trying to be this for others. And I don't know if it was being the youngest and having older siblings, but like I always wanted to impress my brother and my sister and their friends, especially when they brought their friends. They were so cool, you know, it's like, I'd do anything. And I was just always kind of geared that way and I don't know, I, as I grew up, I just never really felt like I fit in. Like, as I went to school, I always just kind of felt like the outsider guy and was always, like, so I became the class clown. Imagine that. And, and it was, you know, to give, give me attention and give me approval pretty quick. You know, as people laugh, it means they like me. And so, you know, that was really kind of my childhood. And it was, you know, a few other details in there. But I'm going to fast forward into the high school years, right, when we get really impressionable and, and uh, it was still there. It was still with me. And I, you know, I was raised in church. My, my parents, my family, was, my, my parents were devout Christians and was raised in church, you know. And, but I slowly drifted away from that. And by high school, I was just kind of done. I was just out of there. And, 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 and I hate that. I, I wish that, that wasn't a part of my story, to be honest. I love those testimonies where people were like, you know, I stayed with it, you know. And I clung to Jesus through those times. I'm like, man. Like that, it was awesome. So admire that, not, not this. But I was, I was uh, try, still trying to fit in. And, and I ended up finding where I thought that I fit in with a group of, of peers that, like me, they just kind of wanted to have fun. And they, they partied. And, you know, I thought at first, so I could hang out with them and not do that stuff. But over time, it just wears you down. And, and, and you get less you know, concerned about it, your morals slide and those sorts of things. And before too long, guys, over a course of two and a half years in high school, um, I was, I was using drugs. I was selling drugs. I was, I mean, I did just about anything except put a needle in my arms. That freaked me out. Thank goodness. Um, but, but I, man, I went from being a straight A student, um, to being, um, like barely passing my classes because I was never there. Um, it, it kind of became a running joke when Brandon was there at his locker. It's like, oh, the new kid, you know, I'm like, yeah, I hated that. And I, I just, you know, identified with this crew that was, that was partying. And, and, and a lot of my, those friends were out of school or dropped out of school. And I just, I didn't want to be there. And so I, I just kind of barely hung on through, through high school until my senior year. And it all came to a head. And I missed like, 87 days of school? Yeah, I know. And I had this pattern where I would go because I knew if you miss so many days in a row, they'd drop you. And so I'd make sure to show up on that day. 
And they kept me on the rails until the very end, and I kind of lost track, and they dropped me from this class rows my senior year. And I, I was like, oh, crap. You know, this has just got real. And I called the principal, and he was like, you know, you can come back, but, you, I mean, you're failing your classes. is like, it's not really going to do you any, any good here towards the end of the year. And, and yet, by the way, I, I don't guess we had truancy boards in Illinois because my parents really did, knew, did not know the extent of this. I mean, I think they knew there were some problems, but they did not know the extent of this. And um, yeah, no truancy boards. It's a good thing. So anywho, so, so there I was faced with a decision. I'm either going to have to uh, retake my senior year, or I'll go get a GED and start in a college, because that's the way I always had thought about it. But guys, I was not really paying attention to life as it passed me by. I was just having a good time, doing what I felt like doing, overly identifying with, you know, this culture of partying. Um, and I don't recommend it. It after several bad experiences with drugs, drug dealers, and police, several arrests, it started getting to where God wasn't going to let me be comfortable in that way of life anymore, amen? And that last summer, I was doing a lot of thinking. I had this thought. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get cleaned up this last summer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get straightened out. I'm going to get cleaned up, go back to school in the fall, and I'm going to make it right. I'm going to do this. I got real determined, you know. And then guess what happened, you know? Oh, there's a party going on over here. Oh, this is going, oh, this. And that summer, I was like, well, I could just party really hard one last time. Guess which one I went with? I was weakly minded. Okay. So I went with the party and run. It was a horrible summer. More arrests, more bad experiences with drugs. And guys, I'm not just, I'm talking about stuff that, yeah, dangerous kind of stuff. And Man, I was just so uncomfortable and convicted. I didn't know it at the time, but I was convicted all summer long. And so long story short, I start back into this, my second senior year, part two, 2000 and, well, I guess it was 2000. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. And, ooh, that was embarrassing. <laughs> you know, here I was, big man on campus, popular guy, Coming back into your, all my years, all those kids are gone. You know, I'm thinking I'll be the big man on campus. Well, it was just different. It was weird, guys. And I started getting convicted about how I was influencing some of these younger students, you know. Like some of them that were, had been straight-laced and doing, were starting to do stupid stuff like I was. And I was like, oh, you're messing things up. Don't, get, don't do that. And I started getting convicted. And God's hand was upon me and just dealing with me, man. It was so uncomfortable. And about... It was Labor Day weekend. My parents and I went on a trip to North Carolina to see my sister. And uh, man, if you want some conviction, spend seven or eight hours with my parents in a, in a car when you've been living the way I was living. <laughs> I mean, it was a recipe for salvation, right? And, um, but honestly, I had these questions in my head like about the Bible and about God. And I was like, my, my wheels were turning. Like I was trying to piece together. I'd always believed there was God. I was just running from him. I was pretty honest about that. And I was starting to piece things together. And it was like God, the Holy Spirit was like, okay, these parts go together. Uh-huh. Light bulb over here. And these light bulbs start going off. And I'm like, man, if God's real, then what am I doing? You know, like there's something that he asks of me and there's something he has planned for me. And I'm like, oh gosh. 
And that night in North Carolina, I could not sleep a wink. I mean, my, the conviction was so strong. And I finally, I knew what I had to do, y'all. And I got up. I mean, it was like probably three, two or three, four in the morning. I got up and I went out on the balcony of my sister's apartment. I'm not going to jump. I know that's a, that's a nice build up right there, right? And I fell to my knees. And I remember just saying, I remember just God's presence being there on that balcony. He's everywhere at church, not just up here, not just in the church, right? And I fell on my knees and I just, I, it, my prayer, it was the most sincerest prayer I've, I've ever prayed. And my prayer was something like this, God, my life is in shambles. I think I said shambles, so dramatic, right? My life is in shambles. It's just, it's a mess. And see, I had, I had tried to get it together on my own that summer and the start of that school year. I thought, I can do this. No, I couldn't. I was powerless over that stuff. I kept going back to it. I kept leaning on those crutches. I kept going to my old ways. There was just no hope for me by myself. And I was like, God, like I can't do it. And I was just tears pouring down, man. And I was just like, forgive me of my sins. And I tried to recount my sins. Like, I, you know, the highlights at least, you know, like there was, I was going to be there a while. And I was just like, this thing, and I was just like, and I was just like, I can't, I can't, I couldn't carry that weight anymore, church. You ever felt like that? And it was just the things, you know, it mounted up on you. It was just like, I can't carry this. And I just poured it out to God. And I was just like, if you'll just do something, if you'll just put my life back together, I don't even know how to get out of this mess. I'd hurt my parents so many times. They'd been worried sick about me. I'd lied to them so much. I'd, you know, use their money on stuff they had no idea of. All sorts of things. And I just was so, I felt so guilty and so convicted. And I poured it all out, guys. And it was such a coming home. I'm going to tell you guys, it's not a cliche when they say a weight was lifted off your chest, man. It was like this weight off my chest and like God's presence was like right there I couldn't see him physically but it was like I could see him through the tears you know he was there and I felt his acceptance what I had been looking for my whole stinking life was right there the whole time Man, the years that I wasted, the brain cells that I wasted. I'm serious. I think about that sometimes. I'm like, man, if only. What would I, you know, what, what would I have done? What could I have been? But that's okay. God's redemptive. All right? Still good. Still awesome. But it was like the thing I was looking for my whole life. God it was, was Jesus Christ. And all the stuff that I was trying to recreate in the world, you know, peace of mind, dude. You know, this carefree peace is a ripoff. Nothing can top the peace that Jesus and knowing him brings into your life. N- nothing. There's no counterfeit. I've tried it, almost all of it. I'm telling like, I've been stoned out of my mind and everything else and passed out and everything, and there's no peace at the end of it. It's just a train wreck and potentially death. I can look back and think of all the times when, like, wow, I'm lucky to be here. 
Like, literally, I could have died that night, you know? How did we even make it home? I don't remember. You know, stuff like, it just, you know, but God was what I was looking for the whole time. God what is what fulfills. And then guess what, folks? I went through like six months of an identity crisis, like big time. Just questioning everything. Like, well, who, who am I? Like, like, this changes everything. You know, like, I thought I was this guy. I thought I should do this with my life. I thought, I thought I should follow this band across the country and be a hippie. Uh, I thought I should, you know, da-da-da. I had no plans for college. You know, I, how do I treat people? How do I think about God? How do I think about the future? All these things changed. And it was awesome, but it, it, was, it was an identity crisis for quite a while. And, and, and what, what did I do? Thankfully, uh, at the same time, get this, I got to share this. At this. I didn't plan on this, but at the same time that I got saved, maybe it was like right before that. Or, no, I think it was like when I came home, there was a letter in the mail. And I'm going to tell it myself again, folks. The state of Illinois had sent me a letter because I had gotten too many speeding tickets within like six months time. I don't remember the number. It's awful. And they had a new rule that if that happened, you would, your license would be suspended for like uh, three, six months. Was it six months? Yeah. It was dating Mariah shortly after that, so she had to drive me everywhere. It was great. Um, yeah. Humble beginnings. Um, so there I was, like God, like, grounded me at home. Like, you're grounded, son. You're not going anywhere. We do that with love, kids, when we do that sort of things with love, because God did that to me, so that's love. Okay. Um, so I was grounded for like six months. Like, I couldn't even be tempted to go out and, you know, join the parties or whatever. It's like, I was there, and I was reading my Bible. And I was having Bible studies with mom and dad. It was awesome. And it was like the Word of God was so alive, folks. Like, I had never realized how good that book was. Like, there's a reason it's the number one bestseller seller for all eternity. And so here's what I did, guys. And this is like, I feel like is a call to action in our lives. And this is what I went through. First of all, we got to get real. Right? We got to be honest with ourselves and face what we're struggling with. Right? I eventually had to do that. And by the way, on a side note, does this come later? No. On a side note, if you are enabling somebody else to protect them from their consequences, from their bad behavior, um, it's not going to work. All right? until you can stop enabling them and let them feel their consequences. Let them feel the pain of how they're acting, whether it's a kid, an addict, uh, an abusive person in your life. Don't enable them. I hope you can find the strength to do that. Because for me, it wasn't until I felt the pain of my consequences, of my actions, that I started realizing this ain't right. Like, you know? So think about that. So we've got to get real with yourself first. Have a little talk with yourself. And then next, you've got to get real with God, right? I mean, he already sees. He already knows better than you do. Uh, so what are we hiding from? What are we waiting for? Get real with God. Take it to him. And third, you, got, you guys are going to love this one. Get real with somebody else. Be honest with someone trustworthy and let them know you're struggling. Let them know what you're dealing with. I had to surround myself, guys. I had to, I had to get separate from the crew that I ran with. 
that would still bring me down, and I had to get with some Christian friends and, and develop those relationships. I'm going to tell you it was hard. And I, I remember the stress of that because, hey, this is senior year of high school, part two. And you know how high school is, really cliquish. Everybody sits at their lunch table, that sort of thing. I really quickly realized that ain't going to work because uh, all they're doing is talking about how messed up they got over the weekend and who slept with who over the weekend and all this stuff. And I was like, I didn't want to hear it anymore, you know? No, no, no. And, and I, remember, I remember walking through the school by myself and telling God, just, God, I just kind of made this declaration. If I have to walk by myself for a while, just me and you, let's do it. Let's do this, you know? Uh, but then I prayed, God, but God, send me some Christian friends, you know, send me Christian people. And he did, church. It took time, though, and I had to take part in that, right? I can't just sit there and hide, hide in my bedroom all the time. So get real with people in the church, people in your family, people, someone you can trust, okay? And lastly, guys, return the favor, you know? There's people who come to you for support, for, you know, return that favor, to them and help to carry one another's burdens. But it's a two-way street, okay? We can't do that if we're, if we're not sharing. So guys, in closing, I want to bring us back to and end on some notes about our identity in Christ. James 1.24, back to our opening verse, he says, you perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go out and you forget your divine origin. Church identity is at the heart of this passage. The truth is, is that you have a divine origin. You have an origin story in the heart of God. And the more you can realize what that is, the more you can get closer to the source, the more secure you will feel in your identity. And hopefully won't make any of the mistakes I made. And it makes it much easier to live out God's word when you can identify with yourself as a child of God. And then when you don't, when you blow it, you're more likely to approach him. Because listen, guys, if one of my kids blows it, they, you know, they do something wrong. Uh, and they come to me, it doesn't change the fact that they're my kids, right? Just like the same way with God, right? We blow it, it doesn't change the fact that, I, that he's my daddy and I can come to him. I like this as we draw to a close. The de de Oxford Dictionary definition of identity is the sameness of a person at all times or in all circumstances. The condition or fact that a person or a thing is itself and not something else. You are who God says you are. Even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't identify it, you're actually, God still sees you as his person with a calling, with talents, with giftings, with, with a will for your life. The sameness of a person at all times. That's what we're going for. So could we take, as we close, for real this time, could we take just a moment to contemplate some, some gospel truths about who you are? I wanna, and I want you to take it for yourself. This is for you, Okay. So when I say contemplate, I really mean that. We're going to kind of slow down just for a bit at the end. And I just want you to hear what God says about you. If you need to close your eyes, get still, get quiet, feel free. Here we go.
Psalm 139, verse 14. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are God's creation. That he holds far above anything else in creation. You're his masterpiece. Romans 8.16, you are a child of God. You're his child. He calls you child. You're his. You belong to him. <clears throat> Romans 8.28, you are called according to his purpose. You're, you have a calling, church. And God has a purpose for you that's unique to you. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. You are a saint. And church, 67 times in the New Testament, it refers to believers as a, as a whole, and we're, that's us, as saints or holy ones or set apart saints. You are a saint. Brandy, you're a saint. Don, you're a saint. Zoe, you're a saint. Jeremy, both Jeremy's, you're saints. All of us. Second Corinthians 5.21 You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Whoa. You are the righteousness of God, not of yourself, but in Christ Jesus. You're, you're in Christ Jesus. If you're not, you can be today. And if you are, then you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's fulfilled in you. Now, I, rem I got a little story on that. I remember Pastor Jeremy saying as a new creature, he wrote that and taped it to like his bathroom mirror or something as a new believer. And he said that every day. He looked in the mirror and said, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus every day for like a really long time. To plant it in his heart. Guys, if any of these things today have you know, hit, hit home with you, plant it. Don't just leave it sitting out on the sidewalk and get all dried up in this heat. Right? Plant it in your heart. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Can we pray today? Wrap up. Who's doing wrap-up? One of you guys? Okay. God, we just thank you. Um, <clears throat> gosh, thank you for your word of God that shares so much truth for our lives that we just, we're like hitting the tip of the iceberg of it. But God, today, we just sincerely ask that you would plant your word, your truth in our hearts so that as we go out of here, that we will be changed. We will be we will be the people that you already say we are. That we will be children of God.
and act like it. That we will be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and act like it. Father, may we be convicted today of our identity in Christ Jesus. And I pray that you bless every person here and at home watching online and every household represented that you would bring blessing to them this week as they go. Let them know they're loved and bless them and keep them in Jesus' name. Amen.